This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Friday afternoon, May 12th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Search engine results are expected to be impacted in a major way by the explosion in the use of artificial intelligence. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, Bally's is released. The new drawings of its proposed casino and entertainment development in the River West neighborhood. Let's get the latest now from Bob Reed, business writer and contributor to Chicago Magazine. Bob, thank you for joining us today. And I uh, took a this took a look at those uh, architectural renderings of this new Chicago casino that will eventually take the place of the Chicago Tribune's Freedom Center printing plant, which means five years from now, if you're on the Ontario feeder ramp or maybe taking a Union Pacific North or Northwest line train, you'll see a sea of silver outside your window just northwest of downtown. Well, Rob, that's absolutely then it did a uh, sophisticated addition to Chicago's uh, architectural landscape. This is trying to correct some of those problems. You know, it's a much more open look, if you will. You could probably stand on the corner and look into the facility now instead of just looking at a glass wall. And what you'd see would be public plazas, uh, more green space, outdoor public art. Uh, There's a river walk, uh, a water taxi. They're even going to have a, a kayak landing. So I guess if you decide to go over there and have dinner at one of the many restaurants or play a little blackjack, you can take your kayak and and pull up there and go in and do it. But the whole point is that this is a more open design. It's supposed to fit into the neighborhood better than the previous uh, iteration. And we'll see if it uh, delivers on its promises. Now, what, I mean, the, the architectural, we, we know the business considerations for the Chicago casino. We know what this is going to mean for the city's pension funds, potentially. Uh, we know what this means as a, a potential driver of business uh, in the surrounding River West community. But how important is the architectural plan, you know, as, as Lee Bay mentioned, making it look more like Chicago and less like Las Vegas? I think it's incredibly important, particularly when you consider the location, you know, uh, and you want to have something that is uh, beckoning the rest of the community so you can build upon it. So I think the architectural approach is, is definitely important. There's also realities, too, because you have transportation and parking issues. Uh, I don't know if those are as solid as they should be. Uh, this plan will offer garage parking and surface parking. And the city says that it's going to uh, tweak the transportation grid in order to smooth out traffic flow and uh, allow people to get in and out of that area more easily. That's a pretty big ask for that uh, area. And when you plop down a facility of this size, 
I think it's going to get even more daunting. And then across the river, and uh, forgive me if I have my architectural history wrong, but there are some people who paid uh, quite a bit of money for uh, riverfront condos and townhouses in what I believe were former Montgomery Ward warehouses many years ago. Uh, now they overlook Freedom Center and the river, but soon they'll overlook the big casino. And have their uh, thoughts and feelings been taken into consideration? Well, I think they have been listened to, but I don't know if they've been heeded, and I think that will be uh, part of what will have to be vetted still when this uh, plan goes forward. But, you know, it's pretty much a go, and so I think they're going to have to deal with what uh, Bailey comes up with and whatever kind of civic pressure they're going to be able to put upon it. But I think, uh, you know, the value proposition, if you will, of buying those uh, residences that's going to change because you have something new there. Is it better than looking over a factory and a manufacturing plant? You know, it may well be. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor, Chicago Magazine. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, artificial intelligence bringing a sea change to search engines. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The world of search engines is undergoing a revolution courtesy of artificial intelligence. Let's get an update on the rapidly evolving situation from Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. Dan, thank you for joining us today. For the last uh, 15 to 20 20 years, the thing that could determine the success or failure of your business, a make it or break it moment, is how high you appeared in Google search results. And there was a whole business in trying to game that system. Now AI is here, especially with Google and Bing, and, and that whole system's been upended. Uh, and that, that's exactly right. Um, and what we're seeing now is something called generative AI, which, you know, when you think about it, Google's been putting AI behind search for quite a while, but it hasn't seemed that way to us because the links on the page kind of see the same, even though there's a lot of AI behind the scenes. But now with this stuff that's like, um, that's like you know, it's like conversing with a chat bot that's going to be very prominent in results. That's a big change, and that's what we're going to see um, that we're, that's going to start rolling out this year. Well, let's say uh, I am in need of finding uh, a, a moving truck inside the city. We're having a piece of furniture delivered, and you're right. You, you Google, you type into Google or Bing, Chicago area movers, and then a bunch of listings show up, You know, giving you various moving companies, quotes, and phone numbers. How does that experience change now with uh, chat bots determining uh, your search results? I, I think a lot of that remains to be seen. I mean, based on the demo that Google gave just a couple of days ago, um, you're still going to get those links. They're going to be maybe a little lower in the page because um, when you put in a search request, it's going to have prominent, you know, this stuff that's like more chat, um, chat enabled. And so I think it'll depend on what you're what you're trying to do. So if you're looking for something very specific in that particular instance like that, um, I think you'd probably end up going to the blue links like you always have. But let's say you're just saying, um, hey, how can I – what's the best way to move in the city of Chicago? That's something where, you know, a chat tool might come in more because you're not your, – your search is less specific. Is this something that could really help travelers? I mean, just, just thinking out loud here based on uh, on the ways generative AI can add to a search. Let's say you're going to San Francisco and you're trying to come up with an itinerary of touristy things to do or the best places to stay. Is that where the value proposition of generative, generative AI really comes in? Uh, that's been that's at least the promise that these companies are putting out. And in fact, they're using a lot of travel examples like that where you would say, um, hey, I want to I want to make a trip to San Francisco. 
when's the best time to go and what are the best things to do and in a way that you wouldn't do, you know, in the search that we've been accustomed to. Um, you know, they're saying, oh, AI could help you plan a whole vacation. Now, I think it remains to be seen how good it's going to be doing that because a lot of these generative AI tools are not really out in the full public yet. Um, and are we going to trust that? You know, you know, a vacation is expensive in time and money. And do you want to just put all that in the hands of like a, you know, essentially a, a robot? Um, I think how how willing consumers are to do that. We'll see. I think that I think that might take a while to catch on if it ever does. Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the multi-generational household using that as a strategy to lower the cost of living. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. More parents are being joined at home by their children and in some cases their grandchildren. Let's discuss what's behind the growth of intergenerational living with Steve Kirch, real estate editor of Market Watch in Chicago. Steve, thank you for joining us today. And this seems to be a trend that uh, is, is straight out of almost a century ago. I mean, wasn't uh, wasn't Walton's Mountain? That was an intergenerational home, wasn't it? Didn't John Boy live with his parents and grandparents? Yeah, Rob, uh, you can go back a, a lot farther than that. In fact, for, through most of human history, uh, intergenerational living is, is the way it was. I mean, uh, tribal living, People just stayed in family groups uh, in the same dwelling uh, and reaped the advantages of that. It's really more of a modern thing where we where we have broken up into different generations having different housing. Uh, and it's certainly, though it's not a new idea, it's one that may be catching on again these days because of the high costs that people are facing, particularly with housing. In general, who is shacking up with whom? Is it uh, adult children moving back in with their parents? Is it the adult children uh, opening their home to their parents or their grandparents? I mean, what's the most uh, uh, common living arrangement in intergenerational living? Generally, it's it's the granny flat. Uh, It's where the parents of the middle-aged folks who have their own kids, their parents might move back in with them, creating a three-generational household. But these days, uh, you know, you also have circumstances where children, maybe just out of college or younger children who can't make their payments on student loans, for instance, maybe they move back in with their parents or with their grandparents. Uh, And there's other circumstances that can create unique situations where maybe a parent or a child uh, needs to move back or in with parents or grandparents. Is it, does the possibility exist that uh, this may become more common because we uh, hear the statistics about the uh, retirement savings rates by older people and that uh, there are a lot of older adults who are merely going to rely on Social Security uh, in their older years and maybe they will just simply move in with a, a younger relative as a way of saving money? So that's a great uh, idea. It's a great option if it's open to you. Uh, but, you know, the, the advantages of intergenerational living, which can be many in terms of social and financial advantages, uh, in terms of cost sharing and that sort of thing. But there's also drawbacks to it as well. I mean, you have to be able to get along with uh, your kids, your parents, your grandkids. And in a lot of families, that, that might be one of the reasons that they split apart in the first place. 
so you know it, it's not all it's it's not all sweetness and light sometimes when you put three or four generations back under the same roof. Yeah, Steve, it can be a very fraught arrangement, but I did see Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and that was an intergenerational household, and uh, as a result, Grandpa Joe could take Charlie Bucket on the uh, on the Chocolate Factory tour. Steve Kirch, real estate editor of Market Watch, based in Chicago, thank you for joining us today. Still ahead, an Entrepreneur Friday, helping people in the salon business be all they can be. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Migrants gather at the U.S.-Mexico border now that COVID-inspired restrictions have expired. A city of Chicago plan to use a closed school for asylum seekers faces a legal challenge. In Entrepreneur Friday, we meet a certified life and business coach who focuses on the salon and beauty industry. Your vehicle could be the target of hackers. We look at strategies to thwart them. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 101 points. The NASDAQ is down 83. The S&P 500 is down 20. We have 76 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies, topping out at 77, cooler by the lakefront. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. More than 50,000 migrants are estimated to be positioned near the U.S.-Mexico border now that the Title 42 pandemic-era rule that allowed authorities to more easily expel those entering the country unlawfully has expired. The government is putting new restrictions into place to try to stop migrants from crossing illegally and encouraging them instead to apply for asylum through a new online process. A lawsuit filed against the city of Chicago looks to stymie a plan to turn a former high school into a temporary home for asylum seekers. Residents of the South Shore neighborhood have filed the lawsuit. They do not want to see the former South Shore High School made into a shelter for newly arrived migrants. One of the arguments is that residents of South Shore and other nearby communities who need help with housing are being bypassed by the asylum seekers. The city has scrambled to turn Park District field houses and even a Streeterville hotel into so-called respite centers for asylum seekers. Some South Shore residents think other neighborhoods such as Logan Square, Little Village, South Chicago, and South Daring are more fitting for the migrants. Burning Tafoya, News Radio, 1059, WBBM. It's 12:32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red today. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager of MacroTides.com, based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. The markets are lower once again, and uh, what's driving this uh, little bit of a sell-off today? Well, first, Rob, I have to wish mothers uh, throughout Chicago and everyone listening. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, 
most of us are decent people because of our mothers. So it's the best day of the year, potentially, uh, uh, in terms of uh, honoring those who make so much happen. All right, what's driving the market again? I think uh, concerns about the debt ceiling obviously is weighing on the market, will continue to weigh on the market. Concerns about the regional banking crisis. Um, but the, the reality is, Rob, on April 4th, the S&P was at 4133. So it's about a half a percent lower. So the reality is we've been treading water now for more than five weeks. And, you know, I think until we see resolutions to some of these issues, um, you know, we're going to get more of that uh, same type of pattern. And then, you know, how do uh, analysts kind of parse all the news from Washington when it comes to the uh, debt ceiling negotiations? Because if you're used to following the uh, the, the back and forth and the horse trading of politics, um, you, you can make predictions based on one thing. But if you actually want to place your money somewhere, uh, how do you analyze stories about the debt ceiling negotiations? It's really difficult. I think everyone is relying and leaning on what happened in 2011, which was kind of like the last dust up, and it wound up uh, with the uh, U.S. government debt being downgraded uh, a notch. Um, it, you know, and again, with the level of uh, animosity that seems to exist between the different parties, um, it's really discouraging. So, I mean, to answer your question, Rob, I just I think there's the risk given uh, how both parties are positioning for political points, that will take one step into the abyss. And markets then will potentially react pretty strongly to that, which will force them to really do what they should be doing all along, and that is passing budgets on a timely manner. And sooner or later, we do have to address uh, the deficit uh, and the amount of debt at $31 trillion. Government spending is growing faster than the economy, and as long as you do that, you just, we're just accumulating more and more debt. So at some point in time, that will become a real problem. Short term, we just need the you know, lawmakers to do what their job. And as we talk about the uh, debt ceiling negotiations, uh, the, the, the big storyline of 2022 and parts of 2023, uh, inflation seems to be fading into the background. It's still uh, higher than the 2% target, but it's heading in the right direction. It is, and it's going to continue, especially over the next few months. Months ago, I was saying that the CPI will be under 4%, maybe closer to 35 by the time we get to the June report in mid-July, Rob. So that's going to keep going. The problem that the Fed is facing is that the unemployment rate is near a 50-year low, and historically, uh, that puts upward pressure on wages. The Fed is happy with that outcome, but at the same time, you know, that will sustain inflation at a level above their 2% um, uh, target for a period of time. And I think the real question comes down to late this year, next year, as the unemployment rate really starts to tick up, the Fed will have to make a very tough decision as to do we allow unemployment to keep climbing just to get the inflation rate down closer to our target. In the near term, I think we just have to believe what the Fed is saying. They're, they have no plans to cut rates in the second half of this year. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com, based in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today. And coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, helping people in the salon and beauty industry achieve their goals and more. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're focusing on the hair salon business and helping the people in it achieve all they can. We welcome in Amy Carter, certified life and business coach and CEO of Empower. 
Empowering You, based in Chicago. Amy started the business in 2009. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'm, I'm glad you're here because there are many times on the business hour over the over the years I've been on this show where we talk to restaurant owners, people who chase their dream in the restaurant business. It's always like kind of the uh, the, the the common self-employed going to business for yourself dream. But I would imagine salon and barbershop ownership is probably second to restaurants in someone chasing that dream of hanging up their shingle and going into business for, for their own. Absolutely. That's typically how most of these businesses have started is they did a great job in the trade of the service and they think they should open up a business. Um, and so they become their owners of these companies only to find out what, you know, obviously cutting great hair does not equate to having a great business skill. So that's kind of how Empowering You came about is really supporting the beauty industry in that way. And then uh, how did you make the pivot, though, from uh, from running a salon that was doing very well to uh, teaching other people how to, to, to do the same? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a non-technician owner. So there's like 1% of me out in the beauty industry doing the work. So I actually bought it as a business, not as a job. And so when I started Empowering You Consulting, I started because I bought a half million dollar business thinking I was the richest person I knew to find out I was the brokest person that I knew because it was a failing business that I bought. And the way that, you know, I learned in accounting school versus how my beauty business was running were complete opposites. And so I realized there were people just like me, had a dream, turned to a nightmare that really, if with the right support, the right answers and understandings on how to run these companies, they can actually be for profit and like mine that I bought, which was not for profit. And then when you come into a salon business, you know, what what is your kind of assessment process uh, when you start advising people on, on what they can do to really get the most that they can out of that business? Yeah, you know what? I start with what's keeping them up at night. I think sometimes us as owners, we are not sleeping that great because there's just things that are just weighing on us. And I start there, honestly, when we have business assessments and things like that. But let's just keep it simple. Let's, what's keeping you up at night and... Are you making money? Or are you not making money? And what do we need to do to turn your business for profit? And also maybe take a vacation or some time off because a lot of times these owners are working a lot of hours and they're out of balance with their work life. And what is the most common thing that you encounter uh, when, 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 you, when you talk to somebody who needs your help? What's the first thing that, uh, you know, outside of a drive, you know, what, what is the thing that keeps people up at night more often than not? Uh, employees. <laughs> employees. And inflation, the you know, everything we just went through has been a huge challenge. I mean, a lot of industries were impacted, the beauty industry for sure. And so um, between you know, employee, employee retention and also just kind of understanding they're very expensive runs. So a lot of money comes in, but also a lot of money goes out every single month when it comes to our expenses. So those are probably the two biggest things is profits and employee issues. And then very quickly, uh, is has the industry coming coming out of the uh, COVID doldrums because you had the one-two punch of uh, of not being able to uh, have people in close proximity, you know, cutting your hair or styling your hair, uh, combined with the fact that uh, people were working from home and uh, mm-hmm. having that really nice hairstyle wasn't top of mind. Yeah, I mean, I think our biggest issues we're coming up against now is obviously inflation, like most small businesses are. And also to just the, um, you know, in cosmetology schools, which is typically where we get our employees from, you know, they had a rough couple of years of having students. And so kind of coming out of this, 
our biggest challenge has really been getting quality employees that really want to be in the industry as a profession. Amy Carter, certified life and business coach and CEO of Empowering You, helping you get the most you can out of your beauty salon or barbershop, hairstylist. Coming up next, hackers may be trying to gain control of your car. We'll tell you how to stop them. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Your car, SUV, or truck isn't immune to hacking. Let's discuss what's going on and what you can do about it with is Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout, host of the podcast, what the heck with Adam Levin. Adam, thank you for joining us today. And as is the case with uh, lots of these stories, the bottom line is if it's accessible to the Internet, someone can break into it. No, you're absolutely right about that, Rob. And thanks for inviting me. Uh, the truth is, these days, think of your car as one huge computer. Starting with can you unlock it or lock it remotely? If you can, if you have an app on your smartphone that does that, it's entirely possible that that can get hacked, and that would be one way for uh, the bad guys to get into your car. So one of the things you do, if, if you want to protect it and you have a smart app that can remotely uh, open it, change the default password, long and strong uh, credentials, never use passwords, enable two-factor authentication, and also make sure that the software is current. Then you've got telematics. These are the things that monitor your vehicle's behavior. And anything connected to the Internet, as you know, is vulnerable to be exploited. So before you get a car with built-in telematics, first ask your car dealer, what are the cybersecurity measures that they're using in order to protect vehicles? And then what do you need to do in order to make sure that your onboard software is up to date? They can also launch denial of service attacks that overwhelm your car could shut down critical functions like anti-lock brakes, door locks, airbags. Uh, all, change the uh, onboard Wi-Fi network password frequently. And also, if you're not using Bluetooth or your Wi-Fi, then turn it off when you're not using it, just like the way you can lock down your home's Wi-Fi. And also, then, I was going to yeah, say, Adam, very quickly, uh, is this a, a, a problem that is more common with uh, EVs and uh, certain types of electric vehicles that do have a lot more uh, app-based uh, operating systems uh, compared to uh, traditional vehicles or, or old-fashioned uh, internal combustion vehicles? Well, I think old-fashioned vehicles are a little bit safer when it comes to this stuff, but they still have a lot of them still have computer uh, components on them. So the bottom line with all of this, the simplest way to make sure someone doesn't steal your car, buy the club, put it on your steering wheel. They're not going to get they're not going to get that car to move, even if they figured out a way to get in your car, because we've seen where cars have been on the road and taken over. So bottom line, if you want to make sure it's not stolen, get the club. If you want to make sure you're protected as possible, change passwords, long and strong passwords ask about cybersecurity measures from your dealer, and know that if it's connected, it is vulnerable. Adam Levin, co-founder of CyberScout, host of the podcast, What the Hack with Adam Levin. Thanks for joining us today. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. 
Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.